This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. One screen. People are like, yes, this answers all the questions I never knew I had. <laughs> right, right. And that doesn't exist for like a spatial computing device yet. It's like. Welcome to Game Dev Advice the Game Developers Podcast, your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me, it's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call 224-484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Hey everybody, I've got Turk here today, a designer, and he's going to talk about uh, his current role and all kinds of things. How's it going, Turk? Hi, John. Thank you for having me on today. Uh, it's it's a pleasure, man. I love your podcast. Wow, cool. That's great to hear. So we've known each other a while, but just why don't you tell me what your current role is right now? Yeah, so I'm at Foster Games. I'm a lead designer over there. Uh, kind of rose uh, through the ranks. Uh, started out as a technical designer. Uh, mm -hmm. Did a lot of uh, kind of design scripting type of stuff. Just being a problem solver. I think somebody uh, on your on one of your previous podcasts mentioned that you know that the industry is always looking for problem solvers and. Uh, that's very true. You know, if you can be useful and be there to help, uh, you know, artists do something or uh, create uh, some cool content with tools that programmers provide, uh, I mean, you're a problem solver and you can get a lot of a lot of stuff done. Yeah, and, and, and those type of people are always in demand, right? The ones that can just solve problems and ship games and figure things out. So, uh, so tell me how you got started in this business. So, <laughs> I started playing games. When I, uh, when I first came here, so I'm an immigrant, right? I came here in like 1990 when I was seven years old Okay. and I got uh, an NES, a Nintendo entertainment system. Mm. And I fell in love with it, right? Playing super Mario brothers, falling into every pit, cursing, getting in trouble for cursing, <laughs> just having a great time. And I was like, this is awesome. And like playing, you know, great games, terrible games, playing uh -huh. something like, you know, the Rambo NES game. Or, uh, you know, <laughs> DuckTales or Mario Brothers mm -hmm. or Jaws. Man, Jaws was not a great game, but I played a lot of it. Right. Yeah, so just fell in love with it. And then growing up, it's like I fell in love with games. I fell in love with comic books. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with animation. And at, at, when it was time to kind of pick a school, I'm like, okay, I, I really love this stuff. Like, is there any way that I can 
kind of make that a career or, you know, get, like get a job in any of this stuff. Right. So there was a, a school here in Chicago, the American Academy of Art. And, you know, like Alex Ross went there, this famous mm-hmm. uh, comic book artist. Yeah. Um, and then also like some Midway guys went there, right? I think yeah. like uh, uh, John Tobias and yeah, yeah. Just a lot of people went there. I'm like, you know, this school. Vogel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it has people that like make cool stuff like here in Chicago. I'll give it a shot. So mm-hmm. I went there, did a 3D modeling and video course and, you know, just kind of learned to work with other people and learn to experiment and failed a lot, you know, just like it, creatively, right? Not grades. Grades you are going to pass kind of no matter what, but mm-hmm. we just creatively like, like I would fail and I'd be like, why did I mess that up? And I would look at other students work and I would be like, oh, I see why I failed or like I can do it right next time. And mm-hmm. that, so by the time that I finished that, I was actually pretty good at Photoshop. I was good at uh, the like Adobe video programs. I was good at Flash, but I had no confidence. I had, I was like, I can't do anything. Sure, I mm-hmm. could use all these programs, but uh, I'm not good at anything. Mm-hmm. And I was also near the end of that, that was like 2005, I was volunteering uh, the Chicago IGDA, um, which right. you know, in 05, 06, it was huge, right? Because you had EA Chicago, you had yeah. Midway, it was a big thing. They were stealing talent from one another. It yep, was just like yep. a really cool time in the industry here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, the person that ran it at the time was the HR person at Midway. And she was like, hey, I have a couple of leads. Like we have this QA position up and this UI position. Mm-hmm. And I had, again, I had no confidence in my, uh, my abilities whatsoever. So I'm like, you know, QA sounds like a great place to learn everything about video games. And I managed to, you know, interview, uh, did well enough on that, that they, uh, you know, extended me an offer. Mm-hmm. And it was August of 2005 was like my first day, first month of doing QA in the game industry. Wow. That's great. So yeah, you're coming up on your 15 year anniversary this year. Uh, yeah, August. it's scary. <laughs> yeah. So the first, my first week there or first couple days there, it was the, I was there for the European submission of MK Shaolin Monks. Okay. Which was a fantastic game, right? Like co-op, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, beat em up uh, in the MK1, MK2 style. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what I was doing, right? They're just like play. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll play. And there's guys there that could beat the game in you know, like a few hours, a couple hours, and right. I'm just like stumbling around. Um, and I even, I found a bug where if you died too much, or like if you died in certain parts of the game, mm-hmm. like that actually broke progression that like the guys were so good in QA that somebody that just came on and like just died and continued a lot broke the mm-hmm. game because of some, something that like, yeah, was, wasn't caught because the guys were so good at playing it. With fresh eyes and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But Oh my God, man. Those, those, those first couple of days, it was, I think it, it was the most hours I've ever put in. I think there was like a 20 hour day at one point on one of those submissions wow. where it was just, you know, cause I'm, I'm new. This is like my first gig. I'm going to give it my all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, just a, a lot of father and son, you know, food and just um, <laughs> helping get the thing out the door. Even to this day, yeah. I remember how to say test your mic in Spanish. So <laughs> if, if for those people listening, father and sons is a, um, it's a small local Italian restaurant that would do carry out. And during, during back in the day when you would crunch, you'd be, you'd be ordering food from there a lot. So you said you had immigrated. I was just curious about that. Where, where did you come from? Yeah. My parents were both born in Poland. Ah, okay. Cool. And uh, yeah. So, you know, around the, the fall of the Soviet Union era, right? Like the early nineties, mm-hmm. they just came here. They were able to bring me here. Wow. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, you know, Growing up, everyone's like, oh, you're Polish? Like, you don't have an accent or anything. It's like, yeah, because I tried really hard as a kid to just 
you yeah. know, assimilate as much as possible. You know, I hear from people all over the, the world that listen to the show. So I think it's always kind of cool for people to hear that at different countries. And um, so now that you're closing in on your 15 year anniversaries, what do you wish you had known when you started in the industry? I think the biggest thing, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, was just having confidence, just knowing what I can do, right? Like one of the biggest reasons why I didn't try like for that initial UI position um, was because I didn't think I was good. But like looking back, if, if like if today's Turk was looking back at, you know, 15 years ago, Turk, mm-hmm. it'd be like, like you can do this. Like you, you probably have enough skill or, you know, to, to, to learn or to do this or to uh, for, for like an entry level position, like you could do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't even take the chance for it. Yeah. I mean, you had the Photoshop and, and uh, Adobe Creative Suite. So you had a lot of those things needed on the, on the UI side. So, yeah. yeah. And that was one of the, one of the greatest things at Midway over there with the, do you remember the wiki that Midway had? Yeah. 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 Martin Murphy kind of drove some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody like me who was just in QA, you know, in my spare time, I could see what, uh, you know, what the different teams were doing in terms of tech and art and design. So mm-hmm. I could look up design docs. I could see, you know, uh, art specifications, learning about, you know, how some upcoming projects were going to use normal maps or something. Mm-hmm. And that was huge. That would, you know, that actually got me to understand like what a designer does, what a programmer does, what an artist does. Mm-hmm. And uh, it that year in QA just really helped direct me and, you know, make me feel like build that confidence of like, I could do this. I could do an environment or I could do a level. It's cool to see that that it was used that way and that uh, it helped you get some footing and, and understanding the industry, you know, while you were there. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, no, I loved it, man. The mid, like we had so many talented like developers at Midway, they, you know, looking at what like the, uh, you know, the never released like shallow, there was a fire and ice MK game was going to possibly look like, or, mm-hmm. you know, what the Seattle studio was doing with visual effects or, uh, you know, the Austin studios were doing with their games. There was some like magical stuff going on that never got to see the light of day you really have to make stuff, right? Whether it's, mm-hmm. if it's a popular game that you like and it has some ability to mod it, do that, right? Create some mods. Even if maybe like two people are playing, just just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's, uh, if it's kind of like a bigger scale thing that you have in your head, uh, maybe you're learning Unity or Unreal, release something, right? Like, like myself, you know, I, I have a lot of experience, so, you know, it's, it's kind of not fair for me to say this, but, um, you know, I released a small uh, iPhone game and uh, small, you know, uh, yeah, like a mobile game. Uh, just, just work on content. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just make stuff. Learn how it works. You know, when we're, I know, like personally, when I'm looking for a designer, um, usually if they have examples of things they've made, whether mm-hmm. it's student games, whether it's their own kind of personal projects, like the scope doesn't have to be huge, right? Like no one is looking for. Um, you know, somebody to have made a Grand Theft Auto right. or a Call of Duty. But if you made some really even small, like five minute, uh, uh, you know, narrative game or some kind of a uh, simple puzzle mm. or uh, j- just even a mechanic that's kind of captivating, um, that can go a long way. And that shows people that you can complete something, right? It's like mm. one of the reasons I, you know, I got into QA was like I had a BFA, I completed something. <laughs> right yeah yeah but like with a project like that it's like if you can show somebody like a finished piece uh you know for art usually it's like oh it's nicely lit and it's rendered but for uh, for a game designer it's more do do you have something that i can interact with that kind of has uh, even if it's a vignette something that's kind of like a, a complete little pack yeah and, and then it's something in the interview process someone could try out or they could try out before the interview and then you can speak to 
you know, why you made those decisions for the controls and how the jump works and how that sliding mechanism works or whatever it is. Right. But, um, exactly. Yeah. And well, the thing too, is that it, it, you know, when you started, um, and even way back when I started, there, there wasn't game engines that were readily available that you could just download for free. Right. So, and you can get student versions of Maya and you know, you can get Photoshop 10 bucks a month or something. So the tools are there, right. And that's the advantage that people have starting nowadays. They're out there. You just have to put the controller down and, and, and not play games all the time, but actually then also make games and actually try stuff and learn tools and, and get passionate about that. And, um, and actually make stuff and not just say, well, I got a resume. Now I want a job. It's like, no, you have to show that you can um, make content and, and be able to show that and be able to speak to using the tools. Yeah. And, and you know, it's going beyond like the cookie cutter stuff that, that a lot of schools do. Right. Cause that's mm -hmm. good. If you can, if you can follow a assignment really well, that's awesome. Right. But what I'm more interested in, what did you do with what you learned? Did you take that and then make your own thing, make your own take on it? Mm -hmm. You know, did you uh, uh, like take that to the next level? Cause you know, so there's some companies that will give you a really simple test, right? It's like, do a very basic uh, shooter or something or like a match three game. And then mm -hmm. if they just give you like, Oh, here's a really basic match three game. And you're like, okay, cool. Match three game. But if you know, you play it and then it's like, there's some weird RPG elements or there's crazy particles or whatever their kind of unique skill set that they bring to the table, they've kind mm -hmm. of just shown it off. That's awesome. And, and you know, if, if you, if I'm talking to them and they can, you can, you can hear the passion. If you can feel them, you know, explaining to you why they took those steps um, mm -hmm. and you can't get them to shut up about it. That's fantastic. Like, right. You know, having people yeah. just be so into it where they're, they're just, they can't absorb by it. Yeah. yeah they yeah, can't it, help themselves. Right. They just want to talk about it. They want to keep working. They're working on it in their head as they're talking to you. Right. They're fixing the bugs in their head mm -hmm. as they're describing mm -hmm. it. Yeah, no. And, and, and that's great. It's, it's just that passion and that, and that wanting to keep, you know, not just doing the minimum or not just doing the basic thing, but then taking it to that next step. And then, using those lessons learned and figuring out how to give it their own twist or, you know, I, I brought this up in a podcast way back ago when we were interviewing artists and, you know, everyone was looking at everyone's reels and everyone had the same exact things because everyone did the same exact thing, build a clock and do this. And everyone's portfolios look the same. And it's like, well, what the hell is the difference between you or anyone else? Right. So, and then there's when people do something else that's different and cool and higher quality because after they had those, building blocks they learned how to do the things they then took it to the next stage you know that stands out and you know the competition is fierce out there now so you really have to be able to stand out you really have to be able to show what you've done that's unique and uh, speaks to whatever you know discipline you're going into and it's not just here's my resume and here's this group project i did and, and leaving it at that and along those lines uh, you know as a designer with all this experience you have now like what kind of you know career advice do you have for to game designers like yourself at, at a, you know, mid or senior level in their careers right now? Oh man, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, I would say just keep, keep challenging yourself. It, it can mm -hmm. be easy to just take it day by day, you know, not really just to kind of float, not mm -hmm. really push yourself, not really try new things. It's easy to fall into a hole, but you know, play, play new games, play games that are, you know, different, or, you know, maybe mm -hmm. game it, like Fortnite, like how many people will be like, oh, Fortnite, I don't want to touch that. It's a stupid game. It's so uh, popular. But it's like, no, it's a fantastic game. It's, it's this generation's Mario Brothers, right? It's, it's right. an amazing. Yeah, game. it's a reason it's so popular, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, or, you know, even making stuff, right? Like what, 
what's this, uh, you know, PBR stuff people are talking about? Well, you know, physically based rendering, ray tracing, those are big things. Like it might mm -hmm. not specifically apply to a designer, but it, you know, it helps if, you know, some artist approaches you who is fantastic, you know, has that passion, can make these beautiful environments or set pieces or characters that are well mm -hmm. lit. And if you can be like, you know what, I know exactly how we can use that in, uh, you know, in our design, in our level design or in our, uh, you know, systems design or whatever it mm -hmm. happens to be. Like, that's amazing. You know, I look at a game like, uh, like even the new Mortal Kombat, right? They do yeah. fantastic character animations, character skin, the blood, right? Mm -hmm. All the stuff that's hot today in terms of rendering, in terms of, you know, like the, the network stuff, the different uh, rankings and mm -hmm. network ladder climbs that they have. It complements the stuff that that's breaking new ground, that, that's going somewhere. Uh, you just mm -hmm. kind of have to keep challenging yourself. And, right. and it's scary. I mean, the first time I touched Unreal Engine 4, you know, after coming from like Unreal Engine 3, I felt like a complete moron. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but then, you know, you slowly, you make one thing, you make a jump, right? Then you make a platform and then you start putting that stuff together. Mm -hmm. Before you know it, you're like, oh, that's easy. Yeah, yeah, if we need to, we need to set that thing on fire. Yeah, don't worry about that. We can send an event, do a trace, do a particle. We got this. But mm. it, it, it takes a bit of failing, a bit of uh, challenging yourself to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's like, you know, not resting on your, your laurels. So always being curious, always trying to play new games, see what's going on. And then also, like you said, learning new tools. And again, nowadays with all the tutorials that are out there, you know, there's so many resources for learning how to use the different tools that you can make that leap both from trial and error. And then when you get, you know, really hit a brick wall, then you can look online and, and find some videos that are teaching some new things on Unreal 4 that you can figure out how to apply that. But um, yeah, I think, you know, being curious and always be wanting to push yourself is important. The YouTube thing is even great if you know, if you knew how to do something and you just kind of remember like three words and you're like, oh, I knew I, there was a thing somewhere oh, in Unreal. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, uh, not like bump mapping. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, there it is. That's how you do it. Cool. Right, right. So in terms of projects, what's been like your, I don't know, one or two favorite games or projects to work on over your career? So my first project as uh, you know, some junior designer, it was uh, John Woo's Stranglehold at Midway. Mm -hmm. And dude, that was, that was a dream pro the, Like I got so lucky to get on that project as like one of my first design gigs. Yeah. You know, working cool. with a great team. Like that was mm -hmm. awesome. The, the system that we had, it was kind of like, you know, I guess what would be like pod based nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, you could, you could kind of focus with uh, some artists and some programmers and uh, you know, work on your content, work on your level. Um, even like between the designers themselves, there was so much collaboration, right? Like we would get moved from level to level every so often. So like you weren't just an owner of a, of a level from beginning to end. Uh, you would see other people's stuff. And when you did that, you could learn new things and, you know, mm -hmm. other people could learn from you. So no, it was just a great environment to, to make cool stuff, you know, and, and learn. <laughs> Lots of explosions. You, you learn about a lot of particle effects and things and buildings and things because that was John Woo's that was Famous so that, that, game. that was yeah. so cool to see that come together because you know we had we had our tech in chicago it was called what was it the uh, massive d tech right to, to break stuff yeah and then mm -hmm. you know we had the seattle team doing the effects for it and when we got those dailies of some of those effects oh my god john they looked so good <laughs> it was like oh right. my that fish look at that fish tank that water is like pouring down the side and the fish are flopping around that looks so amazing or the destructible yeah. cars that were a holdover from actual working cars that you know it's kind of mm -hmm. a secret but no one talks about it but 
you can you know <laughs> pop the tires and shatter the windshields and break the mirrors and it the level of detail in the game was was insane for you know for a really fun just slow-mo shooter yeah yeah it, it was pretty trend-setting back at the time for all the stuff that it was doing considering how long ago it was in the scheme of things it's um, funny to to interview or bring on designers nowadays that are like oh stranglehold oh my i love that game as a kid and i'm like oh man as a kid you're killing <laughs> me <a> <laughs> right right and then there was psyops before that and that was uh, some of the same team and I, I actually worked in that for a little bit and that was uh you know kinetic powers and and doing some really cool stuff and that's always been like a a sleeper hit fan favorite of people and i'll put it in the show notes but uh psyops was published by midway and had a lot of cool mechanics a lot of great gameplay yeah both um, uh havoc physics powered games yeah havoc right right i, I remember being part of getting that contract with havoc uh, 1.0 um getting that in to, to be able to license a uh the physics and get all that uh, working in the game yeah they were based out of ireland at least they were so the industry right now we're like what are you curious about like what are you excited and curious about with the way things are going you know, it's, it's kind of scary right now. Um, you know, having done my own little, you know, side project for mobile mm-hmm. and seeing it kind of get no exposure for the most part. Yeah. It's, it's what was the name of that game again? Oh, sorry. So, uh, we had an old game called the occupant, but we updated it as Sarkoff S A R C O P H. Uh, it's like a okay. scary first person kind of a tap and move kind of hide and seek game, a little bit mm-hmm. of a, hidden object thing, but it's first person. It's a little jump scary. Mm-hmm. Myself and uh, my my friend, uh, Colin Joyce, we worked on it to, to kind of cool. the original one and the update for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it, it, the market right now, it, it's scary. It's scary in a way where, you know, like you said, everyone kind of can make stuff, right? Unity's a mm-hmm. thing, Unreal's a thing, Game Maker's a thing. You know, people, and the, the stores like, like Steam Store or the App Store, you know, pretty much anyone can release whatever they want as long as they give the storefronts a hundred bucks. Right. And, uh, you know, unless you kind of have an established base, unless you ha- already have, you know, thousands of followers or thousands of uh, wish lists on steam, um, mm-hmm. it, it's tough, man. There, there's nothing really to elevate people with no, uh, with no exposure, which, right. you know, I get right. That's, um, that's kind of the natural order of things, but, but it's, it's something people have to adapt to that. Uh, you know, you kind of have to build your audience. You have to build a following before you can kind of release anything now. And it's it's mm-hmm. not just like old marketing, right? I mean, it's not just like throwing some fancy trailer at people and, you know, tricking them right. into buying your game. But it's like, no, yeah. you want to build, exactly. you want to be, you know, create some consistent content that gets people coming like to your content and then trusting you to be like, yeah, I, you know, we took this to the next level. We're making, you know, we took this comic strip and now we're making it a game. And it's like, okay, cool. Um, and there's there's mm-hmm. been, uh, you know, successful people that have done that, right? Like the, the crazy example would be something like a uh, homestuck, right? Where this uh, uh, hmm. comic strip online comic strip out of nowhere just has legions of fans, you know, and that people that kind of follow it um, almost religiously, it's, it's pretty crazy. But, but again, being consistent, having a following that's, you kind of need that to, to get anywhere if you're an indie and even, you know, with the storefronts right now, uh, you know, there's like Apple arcade, there's um, there's uh, like stadia, uh, but you kind of have to know the right people to get into those, right? It's nice if you can get in there. It can definitely mm-hmm. help uh, pay your, like, you know, I've heard other stories on other podcasts of people like, yeah, you know, it's it's great to be on here and, and it helps out, but it's a very uh, walled garden. And if you're not in there, you know, you're you're kind of stuck out in the cold with uh, 
with the rest of the apps. Yeah, it, it's um, it's that blessing blessing and curse, right? Because the the barrier has gone down, so now there is so much more content out there, and it, and it is how do you rise above? How do you get attention? Right? It's not field of dreams. It's not just just build it and they'll come. Right? It's yeah. it's like you have to have a momentum behind you. You have to have um, you know, like you said, people uh, wanting it um, on Steam, and then even um, you know, on mobile, so tricky now too because the stakes are getting higher and there's a lot of money in the free to play space. So the companies, especially the bigger companies, just throw more and more money at user acquisition. And um, you know, so they're buying eyeballs. They're they're buying players to see who's you know then going to convert to be a player. Uh, excuse me, a payer of a player. And you know, it's a bit of an arms war in some of the, some of the games and some of the genres on uh, on mobile, just because the um, the user acquisition costs are going through the roof and, and you have to have deep, deep pockets to compete on a more traditional way without some kind of hook or some kind of audience already there to um, embrace and be excited about your game. Yeah. And, and, you know, trying to like figure out what that audience is that will resonate with your game. That's a hard thing in, in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I could look back on the, the, you know, my Sarkov game that we did. I, is it too scary? Maybe, you know, is the style a little bit like too much for, for mobile that, you, you know, games like uh, Five Nights at Freddy's or, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Granny can succeed that kind of seem more uh, approachable to younger audiences. Um, or even, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the things is like uh, the game that we made, it's it's portrait uh, portrait mode, right? So I'm like, oh, I want to play with one hand. I want it to be very accessible. But yeah. so many of the games right now on mobile are just landscape. They're just traditional kind of, you know, virtual controls. Uh, mm. And I think one of the other reasons for that is those games stream well, right? So you have this kind of um, people on uh, YouTube, right. on Twitch, they want content to show to people. Mm-hmm. And if your content doesn't show well, they're not going to pick it up. If they don't pick it up, it doesn't get exposed to any eyeballs in an organic way, right? So then yeah. buy ads. And like you said, right, If uh, let, let me get like a few users. Oh, that's going to be a few thousand dollars. It's like, that's ah, okay. I don't have that. <laughs> I can't. Right, right. Or it's going to be. $10,000 or $100,000 or yeah, even more. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good point. I didn't really think about that, but yeah, to being able to stream a game in portrait mode, then you have all that dead space on the sides and um, it's not conducive to that. So yeah, does that turn off the streamers and uh, kind of make it more of a challenge on, uh, on, on online with streaming and stuff? Yeah. Interesting. The other thing that I, um, mm-hmm. I'm really kind of curious about is, you know, the, this is the year that the new systems come out, right? The new Xbox yeah. and PlayStation mm-hmm. 5. And there's claims out there, right? They're like, no, no load times or very little load times, um, which to me sounds great because, you know, I've been in situations where I'll get like a Call of Duty or something. And first it's the, you know, hour install and then it's the hour of updating patches. And then by the time I yeah. get to play it, like I have to you know go back to the kids and I can't play it anymore. Okay, quick question break. What are your thoughts so far? Do you have a topic idea, a question to ask, or a guest suggestion? Let me know at 224-484-7733 or on the gamedevadvice.com website. Right, right. Yeah, your, your family's waiting for you. It's like, 
I've been playing the game for three hours. It's like, no, I've been trying to get it started so I can play. Yeah, I've been staring at a loading bar. This was yeah, uh, loading bar. Yeah, and then then this sixty gig update, and you're like, oh man, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the old PC days because it was always you chip it on on a disc, and then it you would never play a game version one point You always wait for the update, and whenever you buy a game on a PC, that was the first thing you do is try and update it because um, it needed to be done. But that was supposed to be solved by the consoles. But once the consoles went online. Cracked, cracked the door on that option again. And it's, yeah, it's very much like that again. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking way forward to, to see if they can live up to that, uh, you know, get you in fast. And even, you know, that being complemented by like something like Xbox's streaming platform, where you mm-hmm. know, if you don't have a, a system, you can just go on xCloud, I think they call it. Or, yeah. I'm I, 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 not 100% sure about that. I've heard about it, but I don't know the details. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's interesting, man. The faster I can get into a game, you know, for, for the little uh, time I have to play is the, the better. That's why the only gaming I do right now is like on the Switch because the downloads are small. I can play really fast. I can, you know, play it on the couch if the family's got the TV and just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get some uh, rounds of Fortnite in, like, you know, dad Fortnite. I'm just, you know, uh, looking at trees and uh, building like learning how to build stuff and then getting shot by like the first person that sees me. <laughs> I'm going to try this fishing thing. Oh man, I got shot. But you know, it's, it's okay. Cause you can find another game in like, you know, a minute. So that's all right. Right. Yeah. Um, so kind of related to that, what, what about potential threats do you see to the game industry? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I, uh, I worry about that question because um, I, I can be a little bit of a, a a pragmatic person sometimes so to me a lot of stuff looks like threats to the game industry yeah. um but oh man for that specific question uh honestly uh just right now it, it's kind of something that i mentioned before right now i th- think the biggest thing that, that i worry about is the amount of content and how unsustainable that is for people making that content right there's so many choices people are making so much stuff and that's kind of always been the case right like not every shareware game was a huge success or not every you know game on playstation or other systems that came out back in the day was a huge success Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just scary to see people that are good at gaming the system right like on steam where it's Mm -hmm. like oh let's see what's trending with people you know what what fetish can we uh, can we uh, tickle to knockoff type game? Yeah. yeah, where it's like, oh, okay, you know, th- is this really advancing any kind of the medium in any way, or is it just that person that is kind of a scammer figuring out how to game the system? Yeah, and yeah, just just more of that stuff kind of like you even kind of see it on the Switch Store where there's all these you know two cent, ten cent, five cent games mm-hmm. where it's just flooding flooding the market and. And that, that uh, the kind of old question of, you know, do we need curation? But does curation even make sense uh, in today's market where there, you know, where anybody could release a game and there's so many titles? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just trying to see. I mean, you know, Apple Arcade right now, that's, a, that's an awesome thing to see because they're trying to uh, curate stuff, right? They're trying to kind of just pick things. But on the flip mm-hmm. side of that, you know, if you're a smaller developer and you don't get into Apple Arcade, it's like, well, what good is it to me? I'm I'm here on the sidelines. I'm not seeing anything cool. Right, right. Yeah, the wall garden doesn't let me in. Yeah, and, and I saw something. I, I read it today in one of the industry uh, newsletters. I think it was, it was like 600 games came out on Xbox in 2019, I think they were saying. And then it was 1,400 on Switch alone, right? And, and then 
you know, God knows how many came out on Steam, but it, it just shows that those, the number of options out there are just uh, mind-boggling. And it's like, again, how, how do you make your game stand out? What's unique about it? You know, how's it going to kind of rise above the noise um, with all the competition out there? Yeah, because there's, um, there's so many talented, like, game developers out there, right? And if, like, mm-hmm. I wish all of them would get a chance to, to, like, just be able to sit down and make their game and not worry about finances, but man, we live in the real world, right? It's, it's, you got bills yeah. to pay. You kind of can't, unless you're in a perfect situation where you have a bunch of money saved up, you know, your cost of living is super low. You kind of can't just, you know, not make a living for, for six, nine, 14 months, right? You, you kind of have right. to keep, yeah. keep the lights on. Yeah. And yes, some of the companies that, you know, can have huge war chests of money and it can be huge and, and, and they can say it'll come out when it, when it's ready and, and, you know, they don't have to worry about those um, kind of financial constraints. Um, but yeah, those, those companies are few and far between. So yeah, you, you have to figure out how to ship. You have to figure out how to make things appealing. You kind of touch on a little bit, but like, what do you see the big opportunities? Like you talk about short loading times, um, the new consoles, Stadia, like, like what are you excited about for opportunities um, in the industry? Yeah. Right now I was in the back of my head. I, something about uh, you know machine learning and about like that um that idea of uh creating a system that kind of learns what the player is doing uh, you mm-hmm. know to me that there's something there there especially with when you mix it into like a game as a service game i could mm-hmm. totally see something cool happening where you know the the ai npcs in the game just like learn your play style and find that balance of like like yeah. When people roll out, um, what do they call them? Like events in a game, right? It's kind of like, mm-hmm. here's the event. We planned it out and 70 to 90% of the people will love it, right? But what if they can get to a point where, you know, each kind of user has been learned well enough where the events could be tailored to a, the individual user without a higher, you know, margin than just a, one big generic event. Like that could be kind of creepy, but kind of awesome at the same time. Yeah, yeah, a more customized experience that um, tailors to your, your your playing style and abilities and stuff like that. And that's interesting. Yeah, it's also yeah. interesting to see right now that you know the both of the big console hardwares coming out, um, they're kind of they seem kind of even in terms of power or even uh, their manufacturer, right? They they both seem like mm-hmm. ATI powered, um, very high performance machines. So even to see, you know, not having to deal with like, oh no, we have to you know, make this thing for the lowest common denominator console. It's like, no, you kind of don't, you can make it for, you know, the two most powerful consoles and it could be a really yeah. cool game just to see like, what, what does that offer? What opportunities does that, you know, generate for, for designers, for artists, for programmers? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're right. It, it is, it's like an arms war and there, there's a lot of parity between the, the platform. So it, it becomes less about the graphics and more about, you know, is your favorite exclusive on this platform versus that platform or, or what's the online experience like yeah. versus one versus the other, you know, in the, in the olden days, there was very much the, uh, when Xbox original launched, they had a very curated kind of organized thought behind online. And with, um, with Sony, it was more kind of wild west, roll your own, just figured out to connect it with game spy and, do whatever you want so it was two very different experiences um although you know graphically looking at it they were 
fairly similar-ish in some ways, although PS2 is a lot more difficult to uh, program for. But really fast, like the the you know kind of the biggest thing in the last I want to say you know like four or five years has been kind of the battle royale game mode. But what is that really, right? What what happened was like you know the the initial modder, whether it's player unknown or whoever. Um, yeah. Hey, I want to take a hundred players and have them have it be a hundred player death match with no response, but let's do it in this, uh, constricting dome. I mean, that's a simple idea. Like when you, yeah. when you look back at it in hindsight, right. There was a, there was a game at phosphor called, you know, nether, like, Hey, if we threw a dome on that thing that shrank, we could have had something similar, but you know, who, mm. who puts those things together? It's like, you almost need things to, to, uh, cool off. And for, for that, for these things to mm-hmm. have been tried and and be ingredients to make a new cake, right? Like like, yeah. Just even seeing uh, uh, Epic's take on it with their battle royale, you know, it, it is different enough that um, it has evolved the the formula, and it's become this battle royale event space where kids mm-hmm. are socializing, which is like, okay, weird, cool. This is this is the AOL chat room of the you know twenty twenty. Right. That's right. no, a good good metaphor. <laughs> So what about thoughts on AR and VR? I know that's something that's near and dear to you. So okay, um, I love VR and I've spent like the last five years making VR stuff. <laughs> the, John, from the first day that we got like the Vive VR headset, you put that thing on. The head tracking right. was mind blowing. I'm mean, just the simplest scene, right? Like you put it on and you look up and there's like um, a, a lamppost and you move your mm-hmm. head around a little bit. And you're like, holy moly, I'm in this space. Like, I feel like that lamppost is really there. So like from that very first kind of demo, it was like, whoa, this thing is groundbreaking, right? So to me, I kind of like to think of that whole space as spatial computing. That's one of the terms I saw thrown around about it mm-hmm. because it's, it is this shift of like, how do you represent data interaction in 3D that you can actually touch in some way, whether it's through a pointer or through motion controls or through fingers, whatever. It's, it's you're dealing with, data that's physically that's represented in space right um and you know the projects that i've been working on are like you know enterprise stuff where you can uh you know what we're showing you the the city of the future for vehicles uh, you know how how electric vehicles will change the world or mm-hmm. um you know or let's shoot zombies in the middle of a field um, that's also fun like wave shooter zombie type stuff right uh, so you know to me again that that immersion that presence that way of displaying information it's it is the future, but mm. I, I, even with AR, I don't think we've gone to a point where, you know, we know how to show it in a way that everybody wants to try it, right? It's still very, very new. It's still mm-hmm. very... It's hobbyist in some ways, right? Yes. You have to have hardware and you have to have the patience to recalibrate things and plug shit back in and see if it'll work this third time. And yeah. And even, you know, like a device that. like the quest, like it does a great job of eliminating a lot of that stuff, but it's, mm-hmm. there's still that, like, you know, you have this headgear on and you're, you right. know, you're kind of trapped in this world, but you know, you kind of can see the thing, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the stuff like, like, what is it? I think I've heard that the biggest company in AR right now is like Facebook, right. With, with Instagram. Like Instagram is like the top AR right. Right. service yeah. right now. And it's true, mm-hmm. right? Because people just like, they're visualizing something funny or they're visualizing. Uh, uh, right. Put cat ears on their, uh, on somebody. Or something. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the dream of course is like, you know, you take out your phone and you have Google maps or whatever map 
software mm. and you see this like, you know, magic uh, fable path of like, oh, how do I go to McDonald's? And it's like, here's the path to your closest McDonald's. And you're like, oh, cool. Or even, you know, looking around, if you're like, hey, let's find a five-star restaurant. It's like, oh, let me just, you know, look through my my phone screen and I can see that there's like, you know, Grand Theft Auto style beam coming out from it over there. But is that mm -hmm. practical? Does that make any sense? You know, is, is that any easier than looking at a list or at a map right now? And I think that's the right. big disconnect, right? If you look at, you know, uh, old IBM computer, the, the green, phosphor green screen, right? Yeah. And yeah. then you're like, well, you know, you could do the same thing on this color monitor. It's like, yeah, but it's the same thing. Same numbers. We're crunching. You know, until you get to a point where it, it just makes sense. Like, like the iPhone, right? When, the, when Steve Jobs announced the iPhone, it was like email, internet, music, one screen. People are like, yes, this answers all the questions I never knew I had. <laughs> right. And that doesn't exist for like a spatial computing device yet. It's like, you know, there were, there were, um, uh, you know, mobile phones before the iPhone. There were uh, tablets, right? Like the, the pocket PC stuff before the iPhone. Yeah. But nothing like brought that stuff together. And I think that market is still waiting for, for that innovation mm -hmm. just to, to right. make it, to even have the data there, right? Is there even enough metadata out there? to to do um good ar or good vr right do we understand uh vr interaction well enough to 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 make mm -hmm. a good user experience um, i think we're getting there yeah. but i don't know well it, yeah when i think of vr2 you know it's phosphorus fairly early in the cycle when um brookhaven came out right and, and that um that was pretty intense at times and and um you know just the experience of turning around is crazy ass monster in your face and you have to shoot it and stuff and the way they kind of set the mood and everything. Um, that, that was like, exciting. that was a great experience that like it went viral, right? Because you saw people playing it and you saw their reaction and you wanted mm -hmm. to see what they saw. That was a game that it's like, look at me having fun. Don't you wish mm -hmm. you knew what I was doing? And then yeah, you put on the headset and what, what am I looking at? Yeah. People were like curious, like what's, what's going on in that headset? I want to be part of it. Yeah. That. Like playing the game looked interesting. You wanted to try it because you know, if your friend is like flinching and flailing around, mm -hmm. you're like, why are they doing that? And then you put it on and you start flinching and flailing around because that's the natural thing to do when a monster is attacking you. Yeah. 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 In, in terms of VR, it's like, I've been saying for a while, like is the quest going to be one of those things that, kind of breaks down that wall because you, you don't need the $3,000 computer because you don't need cameras set up. You, you know, it, it is a much lower barrier of entry. It's a lower cost um, also. And, you know, to some degree uh, it's done well. Cause I, I remember looking at them in December and reading they were, you know, sold out until like mid February. So, um, you know, whether that was strictly on the planning side that they dropped the ball or it just sold that many units, but um and and I'd also seen something over the weekend that was interesting that was just talking about people, while they get excited when they see people reacting to VR, people are also very self-conscious, you know, when you're wearing VR because, you know, you're vulnerable, right? Like, like somebody could whatever be laughing at you or making a face oh, yeah. or, you know, some weird hand gesture or something. So somebody was just saying, um, you know, it, it, they feel like almost like they're naked when they have the headset on because they feel so... Um, exposed uh because they don't know what's going on around their environment you know that's something to get over too right so how can you do it in a way people don't feel vulnerable um beyond just somebody in their basement playing it and make it more of a location-based or something like that and you know without having to get into names uh, if you're not comfortable I, I know you've worked on some loca location-based 
VR stuff too, right? Yeah, um, a game that I was working on previously. Uh, it's it's been released in LB arcades. Uh, it's Predator VR. Oh, that's that's a great brand. Oh my god, I love it. I so fortunate to be able to work on it. It's it's a brand you know from uh, from childhood that I just loved, and you know we tried mm-hmm. to sneak in as many little reference like get to the chopper references as possible. No, that's cool. So it's out right now at some location-based VR places. Is it U.S. or international? I believe or? international. Okay. You know, that was interesting, right? Because it's um, the Predator moves a lot. Like he's almost like a, um, a space monster. Uh, so mm-hmm. kind of balancing this thing that can leap from tree to tree, uh, has uh, magic vision, and can, mm-hmm. uh, uh, man, eviscerate people with its claws um, versus, you know, a squad of uh, some, you know, macho Marines. Right. That, yeah. that was a great kind of great uh, challenge to do. So we kind of did this asymmetric multiplayer thing where, hmm. you know, you could be three humans against one predator. Uh, you can try to team up. You're trying to turn on these uh, radio beacons. Uh, you're moving through the level uh, and the predator can just kind of stalk you and toys with you uh, can go <laughs> right. in for a kill. Uh, it's, it was a really fun experience and I'm really proud of like, you know, what we did as a team with it and uh, that we got it out there. Cool. And uh, I think you said there's uh, videos, YouTube videos for it. Yeah, I know there's one playthrough of one of the levels on YouTube from a um, LB operator. And Hmm. it's, yeah, it's something that there's a Steam page for it, but it's only for uh, like Steam Cafe uh, VR operators. Oh, okay. So the funnier odd story from working in in the industry question, I'm I'm sure you don't have any. Uh, (laughs) uh, People are always like, which one do you want and what what am i legally safe to say but um yeah what, what are your thoughts right, so i, I, I near odd story i, I want to say two if that's okay sure. and one is is relates to you i remember when i was finishing up my time in qa at midway i was like i i want to mm. you know do something else i don't want to do i want to move uh, past qa because you know I, I had this art stuff and you mm-hmm. were one of the people i talked to because mm-hmm. john you were such a great producer that I was like, maybe production is, you know, the path that I want to take. And you were so yeah. awesome. You like, I think you printed out this uh, Gamma Sutra article about like what production does. Like, right. This guy is so awesome, but I do not want to do production. Oh. Like reading this, <laughs> this is, this is crazy. Right. But um, yeah, so that's one of my, like, again, uh, oh, you are awesome, you. dude. And right. my other mm-hmm. funny story is, um, so in Chicago, uh, we had a developer named uh, Spooky Cool. Um, it was a great, they, yep. they got bought up by Zynga. Now they're Zynga Chicago. Very successful. They make, yeah. uh, you know, um, social slot types of games. Hit it rich. Yeah, I spent some time working there. Yeah, there's a good group of people yeah. there. Up. Um, but when I started there, you know, it was, it was, they didn't even have an office yet. It was a uh, remote work. It was awesome. You know, we were making a, a mobile game on Facebook that was a city builder. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was that, around that uh, social game boom time where, you know, right. consoles were ridiculously expensive and the economy collapsed and, you know, what's next? What's the next big thing? And this was the next big thing, right? Social games. Mm, and right. Uh, I was excited. You know, I'm working on it. I'm doing this bonus content. I'm doing missions for it. It's great. And I'm thinking like, oh, I wonder what the future holds. This is going to be fantastic. I can't wait to, you know, and there's these arcade, you know, um, legends working there. I'm like, oh my right, God, what right. are we going to do? Brian Eddy and people like that and Joe Kamikow, yeah. who's a legend. Yeah. So, you know, we eventually uh, find an office and we move in and the writing was literally on the wall you know, slots <laughs> coming next year. I'm like, oh boy, I don't know anything about <laughs> slots. I hope I can survive this. Um, right. And, you know, it got to a point where, uh, again, great group of people, but for me, that wasn't the right fit. I had 
no idea on you know how slots worked at the time. I've developed an appreciation mm-hmm. since then um, because, dude, it, it is an awesome way to to design things. Just designing things for that anticipation reel is right is truly amazing. But at that mm-hmm. time, I was like, I want to get back into Unreal. I want to do something, you know, hands on and something more video gamey. Uh, so I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, writing's on the wall. This is not going where I thought it was going. It sounded like it was cool, and it just um, oh, just that, and, that market changed. Yeah. I mean, I remember the the yeah. GDC online that we went to that year. There was that shift. There was an exodus from Facebook to mobile. Yeah, I mean, just kind right. of every like Zingo was suffering. You know, we were watching, uh, you know, CNBC on on in the conference room with you know the Zynga CEO, uh, kind of telling people why Farmville two or uh, you know Mafia Wars two was underperforming. It was just a lot mm-hmm. of uh, Facebook games were just taking a hit around that time. Right. Yeah. It, it was changing. Right. You know, in the heyday, you know, Zynga was making Hanover Fist. Oh, they were brilliant. Yeah. They, you know, they basically yeah. had a, the ultimate friends list and they just put a game on top of it. What about a game now that you're playing or you're excited John, about? The only game I have time to play right now is maybe like a few <laughs> minutes of uh, Fortnite here and there. Right. And I love it. It's, it's not the same game, right. That like I started playing when they first kind of released, like again, switch and mm-hmm. Fortnite's kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go in there, you know, thank the the bus driver, drop somewhere and try to remember like, how do I build something? It's like, oh, cool. Let me do this. Find some cool uh-huh. stuff. Like you said, you know, find a fishing rod, go fishing somewhere, um, right. but just kind of explore and, and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a, it's good to just kind of play this bigger multi giant multiplayer game where you're just trying to survive, but it's so easy to just mm-hmm. like drop out, drop in. You're, right, you're not really worried about it. It's just a very casual, fun experience. Um, besides that, I've been playing way too much Zelda, uh, the older one, uh-huh. you know, on on the Switch too, and that's yeah. that's been such a crazy update to the classic formula where, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's almost a, a survival game in its own, and the amount of exploration and scale is just insane. Mm-hmm. You know, to your point too, th- that is one of the cool things about the Switch, where you don't have to have three hours and the big TV in the family room uh, to monopolize and all that kind of stuff to play it. You can have a shorter experience. You can be around family and, you know, you've got small kids, right? Yeah, so yeah. you've got demands with your time and stuff like that. So it's not like daddy's going in the room for four hours and you'll see me when, when it's 1 a.m. No, there's none of that. You know, <laughs> it doesn't, it just doesn't fit your lifestyle. Right. So um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people are in that same situation. So it's, it's cool to have that platform to have those kind of games and those experiences. Another winner in the household is uh, the Mario brothers. My, my kid calls it Mario jump game. So we play a lot of Mario jump game <laughs> multiplayer. Yeah. And then uh, Mario Kart, which they call Mario race car. So, so is there anything I should have asked you about, but did um, you were going to ask me about my nickname? That was one of the things. David Turkowitz became Turk. And I've always, I've known you for so long as Turk, I had forgotten your first name. So. so I think this was like one of those first few weeks in QA. So this happened at the very start of like my you know, journey through the game industry. Um, I get mm-hmm. there and there was another uh, David there and they're like, nope, we're not going to call you Dave. We have one of those. You're Turk. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm Turk. <laughs> who, who was it? JJ gave you the nickname? No, that was Reggie. Else? Reggie Banks. Reggie. Okay. Awesome. Reggie awesome tester. Yeah. So where can people find you online? Like uh, website, Twitter, things like uh, I'm that. I'm on Twitter at uh, Turknickel, uh, T-U-R-K-I-C-H-N-A-L. Okay. I can write it I'll easier than I can notes. spell it out loud. One of the things I love on Twitter 
I follow so many people that do like VFX that do, uh, mm -hmm. again, like scary pictures that do game prototypes. Um, you know, posting a GIF of your work in progress that can potentially go viral can do a, can go a long way. Um, mm -hmm. just share your stuff with people. It, it's very easy to not want to share or feel like what you're doing isn't good enough. You need to get over that, right? Like people, yeah, people just have I to do. put their stuff out there and mm -hmm. you know, people will either like it or they won't, but most likely they'll like it. Yeah. And you're right. Put, you know, put it out there and see if people respond and use a couple of hashtags and, you know, don't go crazy with it, but, um, you know, start building a name for yourself. And, you know, every couple of weeks, literally like I'll have somebody like, Hey, I've been interacting with this person on Twitter and, you know, they're doing graphics and ray tracing and, and, uh, shaders and stuff. You know, they're interested in what we're doing. We should reach out to them. So like, you know, people get discovered or, or, or build rapport that then turn into jobs based on, you know, what cool stuff that they, they post on Twitter and then how they interact with people that interact with, with what they've posted. So I also agree that people need to just get over their phobias, put stuff out there, get feedback, put more stuff out there, see if something sticks with people, build a name for yourself and have cool stuff to show, you know, you know, discords another option too. Do you mess around with that at all? I do. I'm, I'm on a couple Discord? uh, discords. There's, you know, there's like some, uh, some phosphor people discord there's a mm -hmm. uh you know bigger kind of uh some indie game discords that i found um yeah. unreal there's like an unofficial unreal um slackers discord uh yeah it's, mm -hmm. it's been really good just to to see what people are talking about or problems people are running into or our art director at level x started um i think it's called great lakes art something um but he has, he started a big group. Uh, it's kind of grown on discord and, um, you know, a, another option I think about it and maybe it hasn't translated so much, um, in, in the community, but there's also Slack, right? There are groups out there, um, on Slack where people talk about different topics and different things. So, you know, that's another avenue for people to explore and, and get inspiration. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, focus on what, what kind of catches you, right? Cause if, if you're doing something that you would like, and especially in your spare time, it's going to be easy relatively for you, right? So if, if mm -hmm. uh, somebody's great at doing a post process, post your awesome post processes. If you're, uh, if you like doing animation, post your awesome animation. If you, you know, if you like uh, creating gibs and blowing dudes up, hey, in Chicago, there's what? There's your level EX that's doing, you know, kind of medical stuff. There's Nether Realm that's doing mm -hmm. gross, uh, you know, stuff. There's mm -hmm. um, there there's there's a, there's a niche for everything. options, right? Yeah, definitely. There's all kinds of niches within niches. Turk, thank you for being on the show. I, um, I enjoyed it. Learned some cool stuff. I uh, hope you had a good time. John, it was my pleasure. It was a great time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. If you found it interesting or helpful, please leave a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe. I have a lot of great episodes coming out. As always, I want to hear from you, the game development community. So give me a call at 224-484-7733 or reach out on the website, gamedevadvice.com. Thanks and take care.